section thirty six of shirley by charlotte bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain written in the schoolroom lewis moore's doubts respecting the immediate evacuation of field head by mr simpson turned out to be perfectly well founded the very next day after the grand quarrel about sir philip nunnally a sort of reconciliation was patched up between uncle and niece shirley who could never find it in her heart to be or to seem inhospitable except in the single instance of mr dunn begged the whole party to stay a little longer she begged in such earnest it was evident she wished it for some reason they took her at her word indeed the uncle could not bring himself to leave her quite unwatched at full liberty to marry robert moore as soon as that gentleman should be able mr simpson piously prayed this might never be the case to reassert his supposed pretensions to her hand they all stayed in his first rage against all the house of moore mr simpson had so conducted himself towards mr lewis that that gentleman patient of labour or suffering but intolerant of coarse insolence had promptly resigned his post and could now be induced to resume and retain it only till such time as the family should quit yorkshire mrs simpson's entreaties prevailed with him thus far his own attachment to his pupil constituted an additional motive for concession and probably he had a third motive stronger than either of the other two probably he would have found it very hard indeed to leave field head just now things went on for some time pretty smoothly miss keeldar's health was re-established her spirits resumed their flow moore had found means to relieve her from every nervous apprehension and indeed from the moment of giving him her confidence every fear seemed to have taken wing her heart became as lightsome her manner as careless as those of a little child that thoughtless of its own life or death trusts all responsibility to its parents he and william farron through whose medium he made inquiries concerning the state of phoebe agreed in asserting that the dog was not mad that it was only ill usage which had driven her from home for it was proved that her master was in the frequent habit of chastising her violently their assertion might or might not be true the groom and gamekeeper affirmed to the contrary both asserting that if hers was not a clear case of hydrophobia there was no such disease but to this evidence lewis moore turned an incredulous ear he reported to shirley only what was encouraging she believed him and right or wrong it is certain that in her case the bite proved innocuous november passed december came the simpsons were now really departing it was incumbent on them to be at home by christmas their packages were preparing they were to leave in a few days one winter evening during the last week of their stay lewis moore again took out his little blank book and discoursed with it as follows she is lovelier than ever since that little cloud was dispelled all the temporary waste and wanness have vanished it was marvellous to see how soon the magical energy of youth raised her elastic and revived her blooming after breakfast this morning when i had seen her and listened to her and so to speak felt her in every sentient atom of my frame i passed from her sunny presence into the chill drawing-room taking up a little gilt volume i found it to contain a selection of lyrics i read a poem or two whether the spell was in me or in the verse i know not but my heart filled genially my pulse rose i glowed notwithstanding the frost air i too am young as yet though she said she never considered me young i am barely thirty there are moments when life for no other reason than my own youth beams with sweet hues upon me it was time to go to the schoolroom i went that same schoolroom is rather pleasant in a morning the sun then shines through the low lattice the books are in order there are no papers strewn about the fire is clear and clean no cinders have fallen no ashes accumulated i found henry there and he had brought with him miss keeldar they were together i said she was lovelier than ever she is a fine rose not deep but delicate opens on her cheek 
her eye always dark clear and speaking utters now a language i cannot render it is the utterance seen not heard through which angels must have communed when there was silence in heaven her hair was always dusk at night and fine as silk her neck was always fair flexible polished but both have now a new charm the tresses are soft as shadow the shoulders they fall on wear a goddess grace once i only saw her beauty now i feel it henry was repeating his lesson to her before bringing it to me one of her hands was occupied with the book he held the other that boy gets more than his share of privileges he dares caress and is caressed what indulgence and compassion she shows him too much if this went on henry in a few years when his soul was formed would offer it on her altar as i have offered mine i saw her eyelid flitter when i came in but she did not look up now she hardly ever gives me a glance she seems to grow silent too to me she rarely speaks and when i am present she says little to others in my gloomy moments i attribute this change to indifference aversion what not in my sunny intervals i give it another meaning i say were i her equal i could find in this shyness coyness and in that coyness love as it is dare i look for it what could i do with it if found this morning i dared at least contrive an hour's communion for her and me i dared not only wish but will an interview with her i dared summon solitude to guard us very decidedly i called henry to the door without hesitation i said go where you will my boy but till i call you return not here henry i could see did not like his dismissal that boy is young but a thinker his meditative eye shines on me strangely sometimes he half feels what links me to shirley he half guesses that there is a dearer delight in the reserve with which i am treated than in all the endearments he is allowed the young lame half-grown lion would growl at me now and then because i have tamed his lioness and am her keeper did not the habit of discipline and the instinct of affection hold him subdued go henry you must learn to take your share of the bitter of life with all of adam's race that have gone before or will come after you your destiny can be no exception to the common lot be grateful that your love is overlooked thus early before it can claim any affinity to passion an hour's fret a pang of envy suffice to express what you feel jealousy hot as the sun above the line rage destructive as the tropic storm the clime of your sensations ignores as yet i took my usual seat at the desk quite in my usual way i am blessed in that power to cover all inward ebullition with outward calm no one who looks at my slow face can guess the vortex sometimes whirling in my heart an engulfing thought and wrecking prudence pleasant is it to have the gift to proceed peacefully and powerfully in your course without alarming by one eccentric movement it was not my present intention to utter one word of love to her or to reveal one glimpse of the fire in which i wasted presumptuous i never have been presumptuous i never will be rather than even seem selfish and interested i would resolutely rise gird my loins part and leave her and seek on the other side of the globe a new life cold and barren as the rock the salt tide daily washes my design this morning was to take of her a near scrutiny to read a line in the page of her heart before i left i determined to know what i was leaving i had some quills to make into pens most men's hands would have trembled when their hearts were so stirred mine went to work steadily and my voice when i called it into exercise was firm this day week you will be alone at fieldhead miss Kildar yes i rather think my uncle's intention to go is a settled one now he leaves you dissatisfied he is not pleased with me he departs as he came no better for his journey this is mortifying i trust the failure of his plans will take from him all inclination to lay new ones in his way mr simpson honestly wished you well all he has done or intended to do he believed to be for the best you are kind to undertake the defence of a man who has permitted himself to treat you with so much insolence i never feel shocked at or bear malice for what is spoken in character and most perfectly in character was that vulgar and violent onset against me when he had quitted you worsted 
you cease now to be henry's tutor i shall be parted from henry for a while if he and i live we shall meet again somehow for we love each other and be ousted from the bosom of the simpson family for ever happily this change does not leave me stranded it but hurries into premature execution designs long formed no change finds you off your guard i was sure in your calm way you would be prepared for sudden mutation always think you stand in the world like a solitary but watchful thoughtful archer in a wood and the quiver on your shoulder holds more arrows than one your bow is provided with a second string such too is your brother's want you too might go forth homeless hunters to the loneliest western wilds all would be well with you the hewn tree would make you a hut the cleared forest yield you fields from its stripped bosom the buffalo would feel your rifle shot and with lowered horns and hump pay homage at your feet and any indian tribe of black feet or flatheads would afford us a bride perhaps no hesitating i think not the savage is sordid i think that is i hope you would neither of you share your hearth with that to which you could not give your heart what suggested the wild west to your mind miss kildar have you been with me in spirit when i did not see you have you entered into my daydreams and beheld my brain labouring at its scheme of a future she had separated a slip of paper for lighting tapers a spill as it is called into fragments she threw morsel by morsel into the fire and stood pensively watching them consume she did not speak how did you learn what you seem to know about my intentions i know nothing i am only discovering them now i spoke at hazard your hazard sounds like divination a tutor i will never be again never take a pupil after henry and yourself not again will i sit habitually at another man's table no more be the appendage of a family i am now a man of thirty i have never been free since i was a boy of ten i have such a thirst for freedom such a deep passion to know her and call her mine such a day desire and night longing to win her and possess her i will not refuse to cross the atlantic for her sake her i will follow deep into virgin woods mine it shall not be to accept a savage girl as a slave she could not be a wife i know no white woman whom i love that would accompany me but i am certain liberty will await me sitting under a pine when i call her she will come to my log-house and she shall fill my arms she could not hear me speak so unmoved and she was moved it was right i meant to move her she could not answer me nor could she look at me i should have been sorry if she could have done either her cheek glowed as if a crimson flower through whose petals the sun shone had cast his light upon it on the white lid and dark lashes of her downcast eye trembled all that is graceful in the sense of half painful half pleasing shame soon she controlled her emotion and took all her feelings under command i saw she had felt insurrection and was waking to empire she sat down there was that in her face which i could not read it said i see the line which is my limit nothing shall make me pass it i feel i know how far i may reveal my feelings and when i must clasp the volume i have advanced to a certain distance as far as the true and sovereign and undegraded nature of my kind permits now here i stand rooted my heart may break if it is baffled let it break it shall never dishonour me it shall never dishonour my sisterhood in me suffering before degradation death before treachery i for my part said if she were poor i would be at her feet if she were lowly i would take her in my arms her gold and her station are two griffins that guard her on each side love looks and longs and dares not passion hovers round and is kept at bay truth and devotion are scared there is nothing to lose in winning her no sacrifice to make it is all clear gain and therefore unimaginably difficult difficult or not something must be done something must be said i could not and would not sit silent with all that beauty modestly mute in my presence i spoke thus and still i spoke with calm quiet as my words were i could hear they fell in a tone distinct round and deep still i know i shall be strangely placed with that mountain nymph liberty she is i suspect akin to that solitude which i once wooed and from which i now seek a divorce these oreads are peculiar they come upon you with an unearthly charm 
like some starlight evening they inspire a wild but not warm delight their beauty is the beauty of spirits their grace is not the grace of life but of seasons or scenes in nature theirs is the dewy bloom of morning the languid flush of evening the peace of the moon the changefulness of clouds i want and will have something different this elfish splendour looks chill to my vision and feels frozen in my touch i am not a poet i cannot live with abstractions you miss kildar have sometimes in your laughing satire called me a material philosopher and implied that i live sufficiently for the substantial certainly i feel material from head to foot and glorious as nature is and deeply as i worship her with the solid powers of a solid heart i would rather behold her through the soft human eyes of a loved and lovely wife than through the wild orbs of the highest goddess of olympus juno could not cook a buffalo steak as you like it said she she could not but i will tell you who could some young penniless friendless orphan girl i wish i could find such a one pretty enough for me to love with something of the mind and heart suited to my taste not uneducated honest and modest i care nothing for attainments but i would fain have the germ of those sweet natural powers which nothing acquired can rival any temper fate wills i can manage the hottest to such a creature as this i should like to be first tutor and then husband i would teach her my language my habits and my principles and then i would reward her with my love reward her lord of the creation reward her ejaculated she with a curled lip and be repaid a thousandfold if she willed it monseigneur and she should will it you have stipulated for any temper fate wills compulsion is flint and a blow to the metal of some souls and love the spark it elicits who cares for the love that is but a spark seen flown upward and gone i must find my orphan girl tell me how miss gildar advertise and be sure you add when you describe the qualifications she must be a good plain cook i must find her and when i do find her i shall marry her not you and her voice took a sudden accent of peculiar scorn i liked this i had roused her from the pensive mood in which i had first found her i would stir her further why doubt it you marry yes of course nothing more evident than that i can and shall the contrary is evident mr moore she charmed me in this mood waxing disdainful half insulting pride temper derision blent in her large fine eye that had just now the look of a merlin's favour me with your reasons for such an opinion miss gildar how will you manage to marry i wonder i shall manage it with ease and speed when i find the proper person except celibacy and she made a gesture with her hand as if she gave me something take it as your doom no you cannot give what i already have celibacy has been mine for thirty years if you wish to offer me a gift a parting present a keepsake you must change the boon take worse then how what i now felt and looked and spoke eagerly i was unwise to quit my sheet anchor of calm even for an instant it deprived me of an advantage and transferred it to her the little spark of temper dissolved in sarcasm and eddied over her countenance in the ripples of a mocking smile take a wife that has paid you court to save your modesty and thrust herself upon you to spare your scruples only show me where any stout widow that has had a few husbands already and can manage these things she must not be rich then oh these riches never would you have gathered the produce of the gold-bearing garden you have not courage to confront the sleepless dragon you have not craft to borrow the aid of atlas you look hot and haughty and you far haughtier yours is the monstrous pride which counterfeits humility i am a dependent i know my place i am a woman i know mine i am poor i must be proud i have received ordinances and own obligations stringent as yours we had reached a critical point now and we halted and looked at each other she would not give in i felt beyond this i neither felt nor saw a few moments yet were mine the end was coming i heard his rush but not come i would dally wait talk 
and when impulse urged i would act i'm never in a hurry i never was in a hurry in my whole life hasty people drink the nectar of existence scalding hot i taste it cool as dew i proceeded apparently miss Kildar, you are as little likely to marry as myself i know you have refused three nay four advantageous offers and i believe a fifth have you rejected sir philip nunnally i put this question suddenly and promptly did you think i should take him i thought you might on what grounds may i ask conformity of rank age pleasing contrast of temper for he is mild and amiable harmony of intellectual tastes a beautiful sentence let us take it to pieces conformity of rank he is quite above me compare my grange with his palace if you please i am disdained by his kith and kin suitability of age we were born in the same year consequently he is still a boy while i am a woman ten years his senior to all intents and purposes contrast of temper mild and amiable is he ay what tell me sister of the spotted bright quick fiery leopard and you would mate me with a kid a millennium being yet millions of centuries from mankind being yet indeed an archangel high in the seventh heaven uncommissioned to descend unjust barbarian harmony of intellectual tastes he is fond of poetry and i hate it do you that is news i absolutely shudder at the sight of metre or at the sound of rhyme whenever i am at the priory or sir philip at fieldhead harmony indeed when did i whip up syllabub sonnets or string stands as fragile as fragments of glass and when did i betray a belief that those penny beads were genuine brilliants you might have the satisfaction of leading him to a higher standard of improving his tastes leading and improving teaching and tutoring bearing and forbearing pa my husband is not to be my baby i'm not to set him his daily lesson and see that he learns it and give him a sugar-plum if he is good and a patient pensive pathetic lecture if he is bad but it is like a tutor to talk of the satisfaction of teaching i suppose you think it the finest employment in the world i don't i reject it improving a husband no i shall insist upon my husband improving me or else we part god knows it is needed what do you mean by that mr moore what i say improvement is imperatively needed if you were a woman you would school monsieur votre mari charmingly it would just suit you schooling is your vocation may i ask whether in your present just and gentle mood you mean to taunt me with being a tutor yes bitterly and with anything else you please any defect of which you are painfully conscious with being poor for instance of course that will sting you you are sore about your poverty you brood over that with having nothing but a very plain person to offer the woman who may master my heart exactly you have a habit of calling yourself plain you are sensitive about the cut of your features because they are not quite on an apollo pattern you abase them more than is needful in the faint hope that others may say a word in their behalf which won't happen your face is nothing to boast of certainly not a pretty line nor pretty tint to be found therein compare it with your own it looks like a god of egypt a great sand-buried stone head or rather i will compare it to nothing so lofty it looks like tartar you are my mastiff's cousin i think you as much like him as a man can be like a dog tartar is your dear companion in summer when you rise early and run out into the fields to wet your feet with the dew and freshen your cheek and uncurl your hair with the breeze you always call him to follow you you call him sometimes with a whistle that you learn from me in the solitude of your wood when you think nobody but tartar is listening you whistle the very tunes you imitated from my lips or sing the very songs you have caught up by ear from 
my voice i do not ask whence flows the feeling which you pour into these songs for i know it flows out of your heart miss kildar in the winter evenings tartar lies at your feet you suffer him to rest his head on your perfumed lap you let him couch on the borders of your satin raiment his rough hide is familiar with the contact of your hand i once saw you kiss him on that snow-white beauty spot which stars his broad forehead it is dangerous to say i am like tartar it suggests to me a claim to be treated like tartar perhaps sir you can extort as much from your penniless and friendless young orphan girl when you find her oh could i find her such as i image her something to tame first and teach afterwards to break in and then to fondle to lift the destitute proud thing out of poverty to establish power over and then to be indulgent to the capricious moods that never were influenced and never indulged before to see her alternately irritated and subdued about twelve times in the twenty-four hours and perhaps eventually when her training was accomplished to behold her the exemplary and patient mother of about a dozen children only now and then lending little lewis a cordial cuff by way of paying the interest of the vast debt she owes his father oh i went on my orphan girl would give me many a kiss she would watch on the threshold for my coming home of an evening she would run into my arms she would keep my hearth as bright as she would make it warm god bless the sweet idea find her i must her eyes emitted an eager flash her lips opened but she reclosed them and impetuously turned away tell me tell me where she is miss kildar another movement all haughtiness and fire and impulse i must know you can tell me you shall tell me i never will she turned to leave could i now let her part as she had always parted from me no i had gone too far not to finish i had come too near the end not to drive home to it all the encumbrance of doubt all the rubbish of indecision must be removed at once and the plain truth must be ascertained she must take her part and tell me what it was i must take mine and adhere to it a minute madam i said keeping my hand on the door-handle before i opened it we have had a long conversation this morning but the last word has not been spoken yet it is yours to speak it may i pass no i guard the door i would almost rather die than let you leave me just now without speaking the word i demand what dare you expect me to say what i am dying and perishing to hear what i must and will hear what you dare not now suppress mr moore i hardly know what you mean you are not like yourself i suppose i hardly was like my usual self for i scared her that i could see it was right she must be scared to be one you do know what i mean and for the first time i stand before you myself i have flung off the tutor and beg to introduce you to the man and remember he is a gentle man she trembled she put her hand to mine as if to remove it from the lock she might as well have tried to loosen by her soft touch metal welded to metal she felt she was powerless and receded and again she trembled what change i underwent i cannot explain but out of her emotion passed into me a new spirit i neither was crushed nor elated by her lands and gold i thought not of them cared not for them they were nothing dross that could not dismay me i saw only herself her young beautiful form the grace the majesty the modesty of her girlhood my pupil i said my master was the low answer i have a thing to tell you she waited with declined brow and ringlets drooped i have to tell you that for four years you have been growing into your tutor's heart 
and that you are rooted there now i have to declare that you have bewitched me in spite of sense and experience and difference of station and estate you have so looked and spoken and moved so shown me your faults and your virtues beauties rather they are hardly so stern as virtues but i love you love you with my life and strength it is out now she sought what to say but could not find a word she tried to rally but vainly i passionately repeated that i loved her well mr moore what then was the answer i got uttered in a tone that would have been petulant if it had not faltered have you nothing to say to me have you no love for me a little bit i am not to be tortured i will not even play at present i don't want to play i want to go i wonder you dare speak of going at this moment you go what with my heart in your hand to lay it on your toilet and pierce it with your pins from my presence you do not stir out of my reach you do not stray till i receive a hostage pledge for pledge your heart for mine the thing you want is mislaid lost some time since let me go and seek it declare that it is where your keys often are in my possession you ought to know and where are my keys mr moore indeed and truly i have lost them again and mrs gill wants some money and i have none except this sixpence she took the coin out of her apron pocket and showed it in her palm i could have trifled with her but it would not do life and death were at stake mastering at once the sixpence and the hand that held it i demanded am i to die without you or am i to live for you do as you please far be it from me to dictate your choice you shall tell me with your own lips whether you doom me to exile or call me to hope go i can bear to be left perhaps i too can bear to leave you but reply surely my pupil my sovereign reply die without me if you will live for me if you dare i am not afraid of you my leopardess i dare live for and with you from this hour till my death now then i have you you are mine i will never let you go wherever my home be i have chosen my wife if i stay in england in england you will stay if i cross the atlantic you will cross it also our lives are riveted our lots intertwined and are we equal then sir are we equal at last you are younger frailer feebler more ignorant than i will you be good to me and never tyrannize will you let me breathe and not bewilder me you must not smile at present the world swims and changes round me the sun is a dizzying scarlet blaze the sky a violet vortex whirling over me i am a strong man but i staggered as i spoke all creation was exaggerated colour grew more vivid motion more rapid life itself more vital i hardly saw her for a moment but i heard her voice pitilessly sweet she would not subdue one of her charms in compassion perhaps she did not know what i felt you name me leopardess remember the leopardess is tameless said she tame or fierce wild or subdued you are mine i am glad i know my keeper and am used to him only his voice will i follow only his hand shall manage me only at his feet will i repose i took her back to her seat and sat down by her side i wanted to hear her speak again i could never have enough of her voice and her words how much do you love me i asked 
ah you know i will not gratify you i will not flatter i don't know half enough my heart craves to be fed if you knew how hungry and ferocious it is you would hasten to stay it with a kind word or two poor tartar said she touching and patting my hand poor fellow stalwart friend shirley's pet and favourite lie down but i will not lie down till i am fed with one sweet word and at last she gave it dear lewis be faithful to me never leave me i don't care for life unless i may pass it at your side something more she gave me a change it was not her way to offer the same dish twice sir she said starting up at your peril you ever again name such sordid things as money or poverty or inequality it will be absolutely dangerous to torment me with these maddening scruples i defy you to do it my face grew hot i did once more wish i were not so poor or she were not so rich she saw the transient misery and then indeed she caressed me blent with torment i experienced rapture mr moore she said looking up with a sweet open earnest countenance teach me and help me to be good i do not ask you to take off my shoulders all the cares and duties of property but i ask you to share the burden and to show me how to sustain my part well your judgment is well balanced your heart is kind your principles are sound i know you are wise i feel you are benevolent i believe you are conscientious be my companion through life be my guide where i am ignorant be my master where i am faulty be my friend always so help me god i will yet again a passage from the blank book if you like reader if you don't like it pass it over the simpsons are gone but not before discovery and explanation my manner must have betrayed something or my looks i was quiet but i forgot to be guarded sometimes i stayed longer in the room than usual i could not bear to be out of her presence i returned to it and basked in it like tartar in the sun if she left the oak parlour instinctively i rose and left it too she chid me for this procedure more than once i did it with a vague blundering idea of getting a word with her in the hall or elsewhere yesterday towards dusk i had her to myself for five minutes by the hall fire we stood side by side she was railing at me and i was enjoying the sound of her voice the young ladies passed and looked at us we did not separate ere long they be passed and again looked mrs simpson came we did not move mr simpson opened the dining-room door shirley flashed him back full payment for his spying gaze she curled her lip and tossed her tresses the glance she gave was at once explanatory and defiant it said i like mr morris society i dare you to find fault with my taste i asked do you mean him to understand how matters are i do said she but i leave the development to chance there will be a scene i neither invite it nor fear it only you must be present for i am inexpressibly tired of facing him solace i don't like to see him in a rage he then puts off his fine proprieties and conventional disguises and the real human being below is what you would call common plat bas vilain et empereur méchant his ideas are not clean mr moore they want scouring with soft soap and full as earth i think if he could add his imagination to the contents of mrs gill's bucking basket and let her boil it in her copper with rain-water and bleaching powder i hope you think me a tolerable laundress it would do him incalculable good this morning fancying i heard her descend somewhat early i was down instantly had not been deceived there she was busy at work in the breakfast parlour of which the housemaid was completing the arrangement and dusting she had risen betimes to finish some little keepsake she intended for henry i got only a cool reception which i accepted till the girl was gone taking my book to the window-seat very quietly even when we were alone i was slow to disturb her 
to sit with her in sight was happiness and the proper happiness for early morning serene incomplete but progressive had i been obtrusive i knew i should have encountered rebuff not at home to suitors was written on her brow therefore i read on stole now and then a look watched her countenance soften and open as she felt i respected her mood and enjoyed the gentle content of the moment the distance between us shrank and the light hoar-frost thawed insensibly ere an hour elapsed i was at her side watching her so gathering her sweet smiles and her merry words which fell for me abundantly we sat as we had a right to sit side by side my arm rested on her chair i was near enough to count the stitches of her work and to discern the eye of her needle the door suddenly opened i believe if i had just then started from her she would have despised me thanks to the phlegm of my nature i rarely start when i am well off bien comfortable i am not soon stirred bien i was très bien consequently immutable no muscle moved i hardly looked to the door good morning uncle said she addressing that personage who paused on the threshold in a state of petrifaction have you been long downstairs miss kildar and alone with mr moore yes a very long time we both came down early it was scarcely light the proceeding is improper it was at first i was rather cross and not civil but you will perceive that we are now friends i perceive more than you would wish me to perceive hardly sir said i we have no disguises will you permit me to intimate that any further observations you have to make may as well be addressed to me henceforward i stand between miss kildar and all annoyance you what have you to do with miss kildar to protect watch over serve her you sir you the tutor not one word of insult sir interposed she not one syllable of disrespect to mr moore in this house do you take his part his part oh yes she turned to me with a sudden fond movement which i meant by circling her with my arm she and i both rose good ged was the cry from the morning gown standing quivering at the door ged i think must be the cognomen of mr simpson's lawries when hard pressed he always invokes this idol come forward uncle you shall hear all tell him all lewis i dare him to speak the beggar the knave the specious hypocrite the vile insinuating infamous menial stand apart from my niece sir let her go she clung to me with energy i am near my future husband she said who dares touch him or me her husband he raised and spread his hands he dropped into a seat a while ago you wanted much to know whom i meant to marry my intention was then formed but not mature for communication now it is ripe sun mellowed perfect take the crimson peach take lewis moore but savagely you shall not have him he shall not have you i would die before i would have another i would die if i might not have him he uttered words with which this page shall never be polluted she turned white as death she shook all over she lost her strength i laid her down on the sofa just looked to ascertain that she had not fainted of which with a divine smile she assured me i kissed her and then if i were to perish i cannot give a clear account of what happened in the course of the next five minutes she has since through tears laughter and trembling told me that i turned terrible and gave myself to the demon she says i left her made one bound across the room that mr simpson vanished through the door as if shot from a cannon i also vanished and she heard mrs gill scream mrs gill was still screaming when i came to my senses i was then in another apartment the oak parlour i think 
i held simpson before me crushed into a chair and my hand was on his cravat his eyes rolled in his head i was strangling him i think Palskeeper stood wringing her hands entreating me to desist i desisted that moment and felt at once as cool as stone but i told mrs gill to fetch the red house in chaise instantly and inform mr simpson he must depart from fieldhead the instant it came though half frightened out of his wits he declared he would not repeating the former order i added a commission to fetch a constable i said you shall go by fair means or foul he threatened prosecution i cared for nothing i had stood over him once before not quite so fiercely as now but full as austerely it was one night when burglars attempted the house at simpson grove and in his wretched cowardice he would have given a vain alarm without daring to offer defence i had then been obliged to protect his family and his abode by masking himself and i had succeeded i now remained with him till the chaise came i marshalled him to it he scolding all the way he was terribly bewildered as well as enraged he would have resisted me but knew not how he called for his wife and daughters to come i said they should follow him as soon as they could prepare the smoke the fume the fret of his demeanour was inexpressible but it was a fury incapable of producing a deed that man properly handled must ever remain impotent i know he will never touch me with the law i know his wife over whom he tyrannizes in trifles guides him in matters of importance i have long since earned her undying mother's gratitude by my devotion to her boy in some of henry's ailments i have nursed him better she said than any woman could nurse she will never forget that she and her daughters quitted me to-day in mute wrath and consternation but she respects me when henry clung to my neck as i lifted him into the carriage and placed him by her side when i arranged her own wrapping to make her warm though she turned her head from me i saw the tears start to her eyes she will but the more zealously advocate my cause because she has left me in anger i am glad of this not for my own sake but for that of my life and idol my shirley once again he writes a week after i am now at stilbro i have taken up my temporary abode with a friend a professional man in whose business i can be useful every day i ride over to fieldhead how long will it be before i can call that place my home and its mistress mine i am not easy not tranquil i am tantalized sometimes tortured to see her now one would think she had never pressed her cheek to my shoulder or clung to me with tenderness or trust i feel unsafe she renders me miserable i am stunned i am shunned when i visit her she withdraws from my reach once this day i lifted her face resolved to get a full look down her deep dark eyes difficult to describe what i read there pantherous beautiful forest-born wily tameless peerless nature she gnaws her chain i see the white teeth working at the steel she has dreams of her wild woods and pinings after virgin freedom i wish simpson would come again and oblige her again to entwine her arms about me i wish there was danger she should lose me as there is risk i shall lose her no final loss i do not fear but long delay it is now night midnight i have spent the afternoon and evening at fielded some hours ago she passed me coming down the oak staircase to the hall she did not know i was standing in the twilight near the staircase window looking at the frost-bright constellations how closely she glided against the banisters how shyly shone her large eyes upon me how evanescent fugitive fitful she looked slim and swift as a northern streamer i followed her into the drawing-room mrs pryor and caroline hellstone were both there she has summoned them to bear her company a while in her white evening dress with her long hair flowing full and wavy with her noiseless step her pale cheek her eye full of night and lightning she looked i thought spirit-like a thing made of an element the child of a breeze and a flame the daughter of ray and raindrop a thing never to be overtaken arrested fixed i wished i could avoid following her with my gaze as she moved here and there but it was impossible i talked with the other ladies as well as i could but still i looked at her she was very silent i think she never spoke to me not even when she offered me tea 
it happened that she was called out a minute by mrs gill i passed into the moonlit hall with the design of getting a word as she returned nor in this did i fail miss keeldar stay one instant said i meeting her why the hall is too cold it is not cold for me at my side it should not be cold for you but i shiver with fear i believe what makes you fear me you are quiet and distant why i may well fear what looks like a great dark goblin meeting me in the moonlight do not do not pass stay with me a while let us exchange a few quiet words it is three days since i spoke to you alone such changes are cruel i have no wish to be cruel she responded softly enough indeed there was softness in her whole department in her face and her voice but there was also reserve and an air fleeting evanishing intangible you certainly give me pain said i it is hardly a week since you called me your future husband and treated me as such now i am once more the tutor for you i am addressed as mr moran sir your lips have forgotten lewis no lewis no it is an easy liquid name not soon forgotten be cordial to lewis then approach him let him approach i am cordial said she hovering aloof like a white shadow your voice is very sweet and very low i answered quietly advancing you seem subdued but still startled no quite calm and afraid of nothing she assured me of nothing but your votary i bent a knee to the flags at her feet you see i am in a new world mr moore i don't know myself i don't know you but rise when you do so i feel troubled and disturbed i obeyed it would not have suited me to retain that attitude long i courted serenity and confidence for her and not vainly she trusted and clung to me again now surely i said you can conceive i am far from happy in my present uncertain unsettled state oh yes you are happy she cried hastily you don't know how happy you are any change will be for the worse happy or not i cannot bear to go on so much longer you are too generous to require it be reasonable lewis be patient i like you because you are patient like me no longer then love me instead fix our marriage day think of it to-night and decide she breathed a murmur inarticulate yet expressive darted or melted from my arms and i lost her End of chapter thirty six